All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Manoush here. I don't do this often. We're a public radio podcast, which means that we rely on listener donations to cover the biggest share of our costs. So if you like what we're doing, help us out. Go to newtechcity.org slash donate and make a contribution. As a thank you, we'll send you a year's subscription to Wired Magazine for a pledge of any amount. From WNYC, this is New Tech City, where digital gets personal. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. Well, it started when I was 14, so that's 12 years ago now. I'm almost 26. So at the time, you know, it it started because of family problems. My parents split up. We went through a lot of transitions, and so it really sprang from that. Um, I honestly don't even know why it occurred to me that I thought I should skip a meal in order to deal with what I was feeling. Bad days skipped meals. Joanna Kay was in pain as a teenager growing up in suburban New Jersey. She was lonely after her parents' divorce. Her family wasn't bad to her or anything, but they weren't the easiest to talk to either. So she turned inward, and she became obsessed with not eating. And then any other behaviors that came up um, were for the sake of losing more weight. Losing weight. A way to feel in control. It's pretty common. And Joanna looked online for help to lose weight, also pretty common. When you're that isolated, you do go looking for communities to try to relate to and find comfort in. And the Internet is the best place you're going to find communities. So I I feel like I must have just searched for them or something and came upon these sites. Pro-eating disorder sites that portray eating disorders not as illnesses, but as a lifestyle. And Joanna found them comforting and also useful. So I would just retreat to my room, and I, I had a computer in there. And, you know, because no one was around, I just kind of holed up in my room for hours. These sites kind of bring out a very nasty part of the eating disorder in, mm. in competitiveness. You know, they're, they're competitive illnesses. The sites helped Joanna be a better anorexic. So when I went on these sites and I would see things like, Girls posting their highest and lowest weights, how many calories they're eating a day, how many times they they ran around the block to burn off the apple they ate. I uh, that would spur me even further, thinking like, well, if these girls can do it, then I can do it just as well, if not better. I'm going to lose even more weight. And I'm going to eat even less. This week we update an episode we did about a year ago, and it is a show that is really, really close to my heart. We look at how eating disorders have changed because of the internet and how those pro-eating disorder online communities have morphed 
and continued to grow just as the internet has morphed and grown. And Joanna Kay? Not her real name, by the way. She was also growing up right alongside the internet. When I was a young teenager, it was things like Zanga and LiveJournal and MySpace. Forums on social networks or whole websites designed especially to attract girls like Joanna poking around on the internet. I feel like I must have just searched for them or something and came upon these, you know, they're called pro-Anna, pro-Mia sites, which is basically means pro-anorexia, pro-bulimia, and not just anorexia and bulimia, it's really pro-eating disorder. Anna and Mia, code words for anorexia and bulimia. The site's owners intentionally keep them just a little bit hidden, just a little under the radar. Easy to miss, but also easy to find. Constant, unhealthy companionship, just a few clicks away. A lot of people, myself included, look for them because they want someone to identify with them, validate what they're thinking and feeling without judgment, without someone saying, you know, you need to get help, you need to stop what you're doing. It wasn't a shameful thing. It was a community, someone who welcomed me as I was. Joanna had her downs, but also her ups over the years. She graduated from high school and went up north to college. She went through a few good patches. She had new friends, a new sense of community. She even would put on some weight and stop looking at those pro-eating disorder websites. By the time Facebook came out, I was doing okay. But it's not like she could avoid the internet. And one day, she clicked somewhere where she shouldn't have. I realized that there was this whole community that had exploded on all these different sites, and now there are pictures and links and, you know, all different rabbit holes to go down. Just as Joanna was maturing, so were the techniques of the pro-Anna online community. The posts had migrated from LiveJournal and MySpace up to Pinterest and Tumblr. Forum threads became hashtags. Journal entries became photo blogs. You know, I knew that this was not good for me, but one of these sites would pop up or I'd I'd find something and it was just too tempting. It just drew me right back in. So it would start maybe with seeing one image on Pinterest or something and kind of saying like, oh, who's this, uh, who's this pinner? And just checking out her board and, you know, okay, well, that's kind of disconcerting. So put it away for a while and then inevitably just it would be on my mind. Things online were more sophisticated now. Joanna was more sophisticated too, though. She was old enough to be self-aware and to realize what these sites and the disease was doing to her. But she still couldn't resist. Soon she was caught up on all the new terminology and something called thinspiration. Thinspiration, thin inspiration. So it'll be an image or a text or something to inspire you to lose weight and do better at your eating disorder. I have to say, I looked today. I went on Twitter and did the hashtag Thinspo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old woman. I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of people with eating disorders, mm-hmm. maybe even dabbled a little myself. And I was truly shocked at what I saw. And I should describe it because I don't want people to go and, like, let me tell you, it was rib cages that had nothing in them. They were arms that were, like, the width of a garden hose. Yeah. It was it was very, very upsetting, actually. Yeah, it, it is. Inspiration can go really far. 
they will go all the way to the truly emaciated person. And, you know, eating disorders are illnesses. To, to someone with an eating disorder, to me, that was a goal in a way. I know that sounds sick because this is an illness. But, yeah, that, that was what I was looking for with inspiration. We'll come back to Joanna. But now a little bit about the people who build these pro-eating disorder websites. People like Sharon Hodgson, who know exactly how these websites are used. If somebody's looking for some pictures of really skinny people so that they can normalize looking at really bony bodies, they'd look at Instagram, they'd look at Imgur, or any of those sites where they're going to find a lot of pictures. If they're looking for a discussion and, and actual interactions with people, they might pick something more like Facebook or Twitter. Sharon Hodgson was deep in the pro-Anna community. She had her own eating disorder. Actually, lots of eating disorders. I've been underweight. I've been obese. I've been, I've been one to purge. I've been one to restrict. I've gone to all sorts of extremes at different points over the years. While Joanna was lurking on these pro-Anna websites, Sharon was founding them. She built and moderated a pro-Anna website with thousands of users. The idea there being that you are who your friends are. So if all your friends are, are super skinny and they're, they're all eating these really restrictive diets, then you're going to follow suit and you're going to normalize that. Sharon cultivated this community, spending eight hours a day in front of her computer, posting more than practically anyone else on there, moderating discussions where girls shared their weight statistics, their unhealthy goals and bone-thin self-portraits. It got pretty bad. I saw a girl on there who developed osteoporosis and she was 19. I saw other people who developed other serious health complications. I saw one girl commits suicide. At that point, it, it was just too extreme. You see things like this and you sort of think, wow, there's so much negative stuff going on here. What if this isn't the way to be? It took years. But eventually, in 2006... Sharon found motivation to change. She found that motivation in one particular person and one particular photo on a pro-Anna website. There was a friend of mine who was in Australia, and she was posting pictures and talking about how fat she was and everything. And I was looking at her and looking at her stats, and she had the exact same stats as myself, and she was super skinny. She was something like, she was 5'9 and 120 pounds. And I was thinking, man, that's the same size I'm at, and she doesn't look fat. Maybe there's something wrong with my perception, and maybe if I encourage her because I, I can see the way she looks, she can encourage me, given that I can't see how I look, and we could sort of build something around that. And so I took that concept and, and my friends on the site, because we were, we were all really close, and there were some of us who were getting to be more recovery-minded, and we just sort of said, why don't we build a new thing? And so we decided we'd bite our eating disorders back. And that's what Sharon called her new online community. We Bite Back, a website for recovery rather than self-destruction. Sharon went from pro-Anna organizer to subverter. There were thousands of people on the, on the pro-Anna site that I was founding, so I figured if even several hundred got onto it when I set it up, then, then we'd be golden. But after the first few hundred, it was hard to grow. Most people Googling Anna or Mia don't want to recover. And so to get people to her new website, Sharon had to use her internet know-how and be a little sneaky. I was really specialized in search engine optimization, so I was able to just sort of target those keywords and get it in the top 10 really easily. And so I just, I just set it up that way, and so people would find it when they searched for pro Anna stuff, and then boom, they were there. 
Now, Sharon lives in Montreal. She's a painter. She's recovered. We Bite Back has helped thousands of people find a way out of the pro-Anna trap. If you've been listening to this and you're thinking, geez, these pro-eating disorder websites should be banned, you're not the only one. A few months ago, lawmakers in Italy proposed a bill that would fine and even jail people who created pro-eating disorder websites. Here in the U.S., it's estimated 11 million Americans suffer from eating disorders. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness. There was even this study of college students with no history of eating disorders, and it showed an increase in eating disordered behaviors after they just looked at a pro-eating disorder website. But coming up, why one researcher says banning these sites is exactly the wrong thing to do. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City. And if you search for the word thinspiration on sites like Tumblr, Pinterest, or Instagram, a warning box pops up directing you to the National Eating Disorders Association. And several social media sites have guidelines that prohibit content that, quote, promotes or glorifies self-harm. They have banned users from tagging photos with certain words. But it's easy to get around any restrictions, as any pro-Anna person can tell you. Instead of tagging a photo with hashtag thinspo, they'll just replace the I with a one, and it catches on quick. Dana Boyd is a researcher at Microsoft, and she's a fellow at Harvard's Berkman Center for the Internet and Society. She studies teenagers a lot, and she wrote a book called It's Complicated, The Social Lives of Networked Teens. But she's also published her own research on eating disorders. They're not looking for help with the eating disorder. They're looking for help with the other issues in their life. The eating disorder is a manifestation of issues that they're trying to deal with. And this is the one thing that they have control over. And that's why it's really difficult. It's not until they start to reflect on the fact that this might actually be unhealthy for them. Then they start to look for help. And it's often difficult to find help that is right for them. Them individually. Personal attention, a connection, is what many of these girls are craving. You know, and so sure, you know, the National Eating Disorder Association has an amazing site of information, but that's not somebody who will sit down and counsel you. Likewise, you know, even if you look at hotlines, they're not necessarily the right person for you. Now, I'm on the board of an organization called Crisis Text Line, which is a texting service for young people to interact with counselors. And we find lots of young people are contacting us, you know, grappling with different aspects of disordered eating. But usually they don't contact us because of the disordered eating. They contact us because of something else in their life. And we start to see that this is one manifestation of it. What do you think about um, websites that have banned these are so-called pro-Anna or pro-Mia online organizations or, you know, Facebook that goes through and makes sure that anything that is tagged with these is they reach out to them. Is it the responsibility of the tech companies to monitor this or is this a free speech issue? How do you sort of see it? 
from the history of this, the reason that terms like Anna exist are because websites started banning it. So if you look back into the 90s, what you found was that when on sites like AOL, people used to talk about anorexia or talk about bulimia. And whenever they referred to these terms, they were banned. They were banned from referring to these terms. The result of which is that a lot of young people started to do encoding. So they would sit there and talk about their friend Anna. They had met up with their friend Anna that day. Um, and they had a great day with Anna. They had a bad day with Anna. And it was all of this encoded language. And sure enough, the kind of practice that we see as pro-Anna emerged out of this because it was a way of encoding things. Actually trying to regulate them is really difficult. Instead of regulation, there's another strategy. Use the sites. Watch them. Patrol them even. Because there's an opportunity here, too. What we see online is that young people cry out for help. They make it very visible when they're struggling. They make it very clear that they're dealing with these different issues. And we usually try to block the thing that is visible rather than to use it as an opportunity to get at the underlying dynamics that are at play. So, you know, one of the things I've often called out for is what would it mean to really think about digital street outreach, right? We have all of these notions of street outreach in physical cities. The idea of people who are slightly older than a young person looking out for young people who are in trouble, making sure they have access to social services, this kind of connection. How do we do the same thing online? How do we create a community of people who are looking out for young people who are clearly in trouble and helping them individually rather than assuming we can do it algorithmically? That's Dana Boyd, author of It's Complicated. So Joanna, the young woman from the beginning of the show, in her 20s now, getting on with her life, never mentioning her eating disorder to anyone. She graduated college, met a nice boy, even got engaged. But all through it, she struggled with her illness and the internet. I went to a doctor. I'd gain a couple pounds, freak out, then lose them again. You know, just really getting a lot worse. After 12 years with the disease, Joanna started looking for ways to get rid of her anorexia. But looking for help was hard because, well, the temptation to relapse was always just one click away. I wanted this gone. I was trying as much as I could on my own by reading books and, um, you know, going to recovery websites, which often led to more proing disorder websites. She had never told anyone in real life. So there were no friends or family she could turn to. Not even her fiancé knew. So Joanna calls it luck that she found a way out. Surfing on the web one day, she stumbled upon a webinar being given by an eating disorder activist. I just remember her saying at one point that, you know, when you want to recover, you don't need to be ready for recovery. All you need to have is the desire to not spend one more day or one more hour living like you are. And I just became a, you know, waterfall of tears because, like, you know, I did not want to live one more day like I was. And so that's when I, I realized that this was not something I could turn around by myself. Joanna started spending more time on recovery sites, nutritionist blogs. But in the end, she decided she needed real-world help. And she registered for a 40-day inpatient program. Before she went in, though, she had to break the news to her fiancé. We were five months from our wedding when I told him I needed to leave work and go get treatment because I had an eating disorder and I couldn't take it anymore. So... What did he say? Oh, he, uh... He said we, you know, we... We talked about it briefly and then he said he needed to sleep on it. And he 
couldn't talk. So we, you know, wise man. Yeah. So we didn't talk about it. And then the next, next morning we were apart. I was at home for Thanksgiving. He sent me this long email saying that, you know, he didn't understand, but he would try to do anything he could to help me. And, you know, we were going to work on this together. So I started treatment in December. Our wedding was in May. And uh, you kept the date, kept the date because, you know, not only did he not know, none of my family knew that this was going on. So I hid from them the fact that I needed treatment to the point that he and I pulled off this elaborate operation where I went to residential. He kept my phone and would answer texts from my bridesmaids about jewelry and clothing and (sighs) pretending to be me because, you know, they had no idea I'm actually in Philadelphia getting treatment for anorexia. Um, You know, we stuffed our wedding invitations in the treatment facility. He mailed them out alone. But Joanna says this period brought them closer and that all these preparations for their wedding, messed up as they kind of seem, they really motivated her to make it through treatment. I did not want to walk up the aisle and stand on the altar and have anorexia being the one speaking my vows to him. You know, I wanted to come back and, and say them as my whole self, whatever that was, because I had, at that point, never, I hadn't been myself in, since I was a child. That whole time period was just so many emotions. Fear, anxiety, guilt, shame, relief. And, and mind you, when you are starving, you don't feel emotions. So I hadn't actually felt a whole lot in a, a while. She was becoming whole for the first time in her adult life. And her husband was getting more of the parts of Joanna that he loves, that he didn't even know were there. It's like an added bonus. For the first time, I'm being authentic with him. And it's not as though I was intentionally lying, but this is a really manipulative disease. And it caught, you have to lie in order to maintain it. So I, I did lie a lot to him. So he loves that now. He has his real wife. You know, we're, we're starting off our marriage on, in a really open, honest, loving point, which is, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better. Joanna's back at work and back in front of a computer screen again. And it's not easy. You know, my mind is still on eating disorder topics all day long, every day. From time to time, I still come upon inspiration and pro-Anna because in a way, it's, I mean, it's hard to avoid. It's, it's everywhere. It's on Pinterest. It, it parades as healthy and clean eating through Fitspiration. But I'm at the point where I do have to keep the tab open, and the tab being now of the recovery community and people I follow on Twitter who who support me and, and, and know me now. So that's where we left things with Joanna about 10 months ago. And now I've got a quick update on her. Okay, so first the bad news. After this episode first aired, Joanna relapsed and went back into an intensive outpatient treatment program. She's feeling better now and more confident about staying healthy, both with her diet and her internet browsing. Now for the good news. Joanna started telling her family about her eating disorder, including her dad, who she says took it well. In fact, she's never felt closer to him, she says. On the professional front, and this is really cool, she has done a total pivot. She's in grad school and plans to become a mental health counselor. And Joanna has also lobbied in D.C. with the Eating Disorders Coalition for legislation to reform the way insurance companies treat eating disorders. Finally, back to the Internet. Joanna is blogging about her journey now at middlegroundmusings.com, and it has made a big difference. I lost my voice for 12 years to this illness and 
This is really the first time that I'm actually getting to revive my voice and talk back to my eating disorder in a way. Middle Ground Musings was named a Top Eating Disorder blog of 2015 by Psych Central. And then there's this. Here, I'm going to read it to you. I just want to say how important blogging has been to my recovery. Through my blog, I've met a wonderful support system. And even better, people who are struggling reach out to me for support now. No matter what becomes of my blog in the future, right now it is very definitely bringing me back to life. Oh, Joanna, you rock. We've got a link to Joanna's blog, plus links to recovery websites at newtechcity.org. And please, if you need help, talk to someone in real life. Next week, the big reveal. We will no longer be called New Tech City, and we will announce the new name next week. Ah! Don't worry, NewTechCity.org will still work, and we won't disappear from your feed. You and I will, of course, be figuring out how to balance life in the digital age. For now, I'm your host, Manoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. for advice but here I am giving it but like I think I take any advice (laughs) (laughs) I just think when you turn 30 there's like an acceptance of like okay I'm starting to see patterns you have some data this is who I am Mm -hmm. and I made it this far so it's not so bad